0: Welcome to the Hope Collective message podcast, where we find a confident expectation of a better tomorrow in the
1: character and promises of God. To learn more about who we are, visit thehopeco.com. Here's today's message. So we'll be reading from Proverbs 8 today. It's page 517 in the Church Bibles if you want to follow along and we're gonna read 22 through 36. The Lord formed me from the beginning before he created anything else. I was appointed in ages past, at the very first before the earth began. I was born before the oceans were created, before the springs bubbled forth their waters, before the mountains were formed, before the hills I was born before he had made the earth and fields and the first handfuls of, to- of soil. I was there when he established the heavens, when he drew the horizon on the oceans. I was there when he set the clouds above, when he established springs deep in the earth. I was there when he set the limits of the seas, so they would not spread beyond their boundaries. And when he marked off the earth's foundations, I was the architect at his side. I was his constant delight, rejoicing always in his presence. And how happy I was with the world he created, how I rejoiced with the human family. And so, my children, listen to me. For all who follow my ways are joyful. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Don't ignore it. Joyful are those who listen to me, watching for me daily at my gates, waiting for me outside my home. For whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord. But those who miss me, injure themselves. All who hate me, love death. This is the word of God. This is the question that every one of you today are going to have to answer. Jesus.
0: You are claiming to be a follower of Jesus, and yet you aren't fighting for the equality and dignity of your black and brown neighbors, of your queer neighbors, of your women neighbors. Then you are not following in the path of Jesus. And according to the Bible, you do
1: not. Jesus would have been a radical leftist, but if you took Jesus and put him in America as a modern day version of who the Bible, who he was in the Bible. Far too many people that claim to worship and love him would actually hate him. Jesus is not who people think he is, okay? If Jesus claimed to be God knowing he wasn't God, then he's a liar. And we will have to say, Jesus, you're a liar. This was an exalted being, which means he no longer had to reincarnate.
0: Is Jesus God or the Son of God? Well, let's explore the Bible. Christian denomination. Teaches that Jesus and Satan are brothers. Stay to the end. This guy looks pretty kind,
1: and I think Jesus would have looked kind and. Our God. If not, what are all these churches for? And who is Jesus' dad?
0: There is nowhere in the King James Bible that it says that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven anywhere.
1: Christ, He is the first begotten of the the dead. dead. Now, Shabir, as a Muslim, how is it that you view Jesus? Uh, I consider him to be the prophet and messiah of God, born of the Virgin Mary. He performed... Speaking
0: of the letter J. Who is Jesus Christ? For 2,000 years, Jesus has been changing lives. He's been changing the world. But who is he really? Why don't you hit that bow if you believe in Jesus? Listen. Who is King Jesus? He's the king of the Jews, king of Israel, king of righteousness, king of the ages, king of heaven, king of glory. He's the king of kings and the Lord of... 15 verse 15. And Jesus said to them, who do you say that I am? (laughs) Is anybody's head spinning after that? (laughs) We'll get get into that in a second. I had somebody come up to me after the first service and said, "Um, who are you? (laughs) So... So uh, I'm Ken, and uh, I'm a friend of Dave's. That's that's kind of about it. Um, <clears throat> Dave and I have conversations, and uh, I don't know. A while back, we were talking about First John. We were doing this series, and we had some good conversations. And Dave said, "Well, you want to you want to talk on a Sunday?" I'm, sure. You know, so that's who I am. I'm a friend of Dave's. <laughs> so this uh, this video makes our heads spin, right? Because this video actually tells us that we, um, we have a problem, and it's, a, it's actually a really serious problem, and it's a, a, it's a problem that I think everybody in this room is affected by, is being affected by. Certainly, in the body of Christ, we are being affected by it, and it's a truth problem. It's a truth problem. We have so many voices speaking to us all the time, making truth claims about what is, how things should be, how things ought to be, what this is, what that is. We have a truth problem. So it's interesting, uh, a couple of months ago, I was at my son's commencement address, and the speaker, uh, as he was talking, he, he said we have a, um, what he called, we have a problem with truth decay, truth decay. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting, I've not heard that term before, truth decay. What was interesting, though, is that he went on to say truths that I didn't, quite agree with. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, you're proclaiming truth decay, but I'm not quite sure what you just said is true. So I went home and I looked up, what is this truth decay? Because it fascinated me. And it's actually a term that was coined in 2018 by a group of sociologists who were observing what was going on in our culture. And so they, they came up with this idea of truth decay. And what they, what they found was that there's four primary trends taking place in our world, or in our cultural, culture. Uh, trend number one, an increasing disagreement over facts. How many of you have experienced that dilemma? A blurring line between opinion and fact, so that we can no longer tell the difference between them. An increase in the volume and influence of opinion. Case in point, our video and a decreasing trust in formally respected sources of facts. The author identifies this truth decay as a major concern for the future of our civil discourse, right? So, I mean, how do we actually talk and have conversations with one another if we don't know what's true? Or maybe we don't even understand truth. But then I started thinking, okay, and as much as these people are identifying this thing called truth decay, We're also told that we should follow our truth, okay? But, we need disinformation panels so that we can stop the spread of disinformation. But, truth is relative and is really only a tool used in the power game. But, we need censorship to stop the spread of disinformation because it's dangerous. We're told we should follow the science Problem is, the science primarily is a process of disagreement that is supposed to lead us to the truth. So, again, whose head is spinning with all these different messages? Which is it? Is there truth decay, which would suggest that there's a truth that is actually falling apart, or are we supposed to follow our truth? You know, like, whatever I feel, that's what's true for me. If my feelings are the ultimate authority, then, as someone famously once said, what is truth? This is the dilemma that we find ourselves in. How many of you have felt affected by this chaos? This, this confusion of voices? How can we discern truth from falsehood, facts from opinion? Is it even possible to know the truth? Or should we just get used to accepting any truth claim as long as it aligns with our own perspective? It makes me feel good. And if we do that, what happens to the gospel? Ironically, this is actually much the situation that John's readers found themselves in. There's an occasion for John's letter that we haven't really talked much about so far, um, uh, that, that there was something going on that John actually felt it necessary to explicitly address. And what John's readers were experiencing was very much what we're experiencing in this chaos, this chaos of messages, this chaos of understanding about truth, not truth, that sort of thing. So let's dive in, and uh, we're going to read. So if you want to open your Bibles to 1 John, we're in chapter 2, and we're going to read 18... uh, 18 through 36, uh, I'm sorry, 18 through 27. Let's read and then we'll, 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 uh, we'll dive in. John says, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you, there's a couple of points I want to focus on, and this is is one of them. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. I write to you these things, I write to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. All right, so let's dive in. What's What's he trying to tell us? So let's start right off the bat in verse 18. John identifies the uh, Antichrist, although he says it's not one Antichrist, there's many Antichrists. And what he's not, ref- he's not referring to a whole bunch of little Damians that are running around. Anybody remember Damian, little kid with a 666 on his head, right? There's not a bunch of Damians running around. The idea here in Antichrist is just literally those who oppose Jesus. It's literally what he means, those who oppose Jesus. You see, In John's congregations, there were people who came into the congregation who were proclaiming truths that were contrary to the gospel that was brought to them by John. Contrary to the gospel that John himself was taught by Jesus. These people came into these communities um, and, and disrupted them. They were opposed by John and the leaders, and so they left. However, they seemed to have shaken the communities quite a bit. So a lot of what John has written to us so far is really addressing this situation, this, this confusion. Again, stop and think about how we have been affected and hear these words as if they're written to us. John writes, we've already covered this. He, he seems to have shaken these communities perhaps by creating doubt. So John writes, this is how you know that you know. Back in early part of chapter two. Perhaps they were creating confusion So John's going to say in chapter uh, 3, so you can have confidence at his appearing. They certainly had caused hurt. So John writes, how can you say that you love God and hate your brother? These people claimed, among other things, that Jesus was not the Messiah. They claimed that he could not and was not incarnate, in other words, God in the flesh. They claim he wasn't that. Couldn't have been that. They They claim that Jesus was a revealer of secret truth that they knew and ordinary Christians did not. This is actually fascinating because it's as if they were saying, hey, Jesus didn't tell you the whole story, and we have the rest of the story. They were claiming that. Not unlike Satan in the garden when he said, did God really say... I don't think God told you the whole story. They claimed that Jesus did not suffer. He only appeared to. And they claimed that they were not sinners because there was no such thing as sin. So again, think about some of the stuff we've already heard so far in John, that John was specifically countering these teachings that were, uh, that were being brought to the church. In verse 19, he says, they left because they weren't really a part of us. Now, we don't really know, were these people who came and infiltrated the congregations? We don't know if these were people who uh, saw that the con- these congregations were starting up and so, uh, yeah, so they wanted to come in and sow dis- disruption, or were they already members of this community and somehow or another got led astray? We're not really sure. All we know is they came, they sowed disruption, and they left. And they left John's congregations in in a bit of turmoil, in a bit of confusion. I can really just imagine what kind of TikTok videos they would have created. It would be interesting to see. Hmm. Much of what John encourages in this letter is a direct address to either what these people were claiming, how they were living, or the effects that they had on the community. And they were much like us. They were getting confused because of the many voices claiming to have truth and knowledge that we should follow and believe. So how can we know? How can we know? Who can we trust? How can we identify whether or not somebody is credible enough to listen to or not? Well, John tells us how we can know, and he also tells us how we can discern whether other voices know. So let's keep going in the letter. Let's look at verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. Interestingly enough, this is very similar to what Jesus says in John 16, uh, chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. It's a very similar idea that John is proposing. In verse 21, he says, I write this to you. So again, this is, you always want to look at the I write this to you passages because he's making clear The impetus of his writing. I write this to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. And then in verse 27, he says, You don't need anyone to teach you, but his anointing teaches you about everything. So here's our question What is it that they know through the anointing of the Holy One? Well, they know that Jesus is the Messiah. They know that, God, that, or they know that Jesus came in the flesh. He actually occupied a physical body. They know that Jesus is embraced as God as opposed to denied as God. They know that Jesus forgives sins, which means that there are sins to be forgiven. Okay? Well, how is this knowledge, how is this understanding the key to all knowledge? How does this teach us about everything? Because this is John's encouragement. John's encouragement is you know what you need to know. Okay, I'm going to get into that in just a minute, but I'm a word nerd, so I want to I pause and identify a couple of words or define a couple of words so that we really have an understanding of what we're talking about. Because, again, if you're ever going to study the Bible, don't really fully trust the English words. Go to the original. Go back to the Greek, go back to the Hebrew, there's lots of tools out there that can help you do that. Not because the English words are wrong, but sometimes they don't quite capture the nuance uh, that's actually in the original language. So for example, when John talks about truth, he's actually talking about what is real. The emphasis here is on reality as opposed to illusion. Reality as opposed to what I feel. So truth is aligned with what is real or is aligned with reality. That's what he means by truth. To know is to see or perceive. So again, if I know the truth, then I'm seeing or perceiving reality as it is. Okay? To be deceived is to be led off course. So, so John says, I write, to the, I write this to you because there are people who are trying to deceive you. There are people who are trying to lead you off course. Okay? Now we're going to dive into the uh, Proverbs 8 passage that was so capably read by my son. And it's a, it's a proverb about wisdom. So I want to define wisdom really quick before we dive into that. So, so wisdom, which is what the book of Proverbs is all about, is defined as competency with regards to life. Competency with regards to life. Wisdom is knowing how things really are and knowing how things really work. Okay? All right. Let's dive into that Proverbs 8 passage. And there's two things that I want us to know. Be helpful if you turn to it so you can just see some of these things as, as we walk through them. The first thing that we need to pay attention to is that this is actually a creation account. Very similar to Genesis 1. It's a creation account. Now, what I want us to notice is that this creation account is actually very unique. It was, in the ancient world, in ancient cultures, there really were primarily two different creation accounts. One, the world was created out of chaos. It was created out of disorder. And the other, the world was created out of conflict. Uh, There's lots of stories in which the gods actually fought each other and Some gods got together, killed another god, and then they took his body and they threw it into the universe, and that's where we get the planets and and so forth. So we have two different creation stories, two different kinds of creation stories, out of chaos and out of conflict or power struggle. But in this creation story, we have the world being created through the delight of an artist. Through the delight of an artist. We have the world being created as the expression of an artist. And unlike any other creation story, that artist is accompanied by wisdom. Wisdom stands beside the artist as the world is being created. Okay, so what are the implications of that? The implications are that the world and reality itself is formed, was formed with a design. That there is a pattern or fabric to all of reality and wisdom reveals that pattern, wisdom reveals that fabric. The Hebrews understood that since God made the world through wisdom, to gain wisdom is to gain understanding to the realities of life. To live according to that pattern brings life, to live against that pattern brings destruction. Now this is really fascinating. We all really know this. I'll use a really kind of basic example, gravity. You know, gravity is part of the fabric of the world. And when we live according to gravity, you know, we don't jump off of buildings. Things generally go well. But if we want to go against gravity, that doesn't really work out too well. Right? We actually live this. How many of you would, get, would drive across a bridge if you knew the engineers who made that bridge sat back and said, you know, I really feel like we should do it this way this time? Would you trust that bridge? How many of you would get into a plane if you knew the pilot was up there and said, you know what, I know the instruments say this, but I really feel like we should go this way? Would you feel comfortable in that plane? No, every single day we live our lives because there is a pattern to the world. And when we go against that pattern, bad things happen. Okay? This, by the way, is how we got science, just as an aside. Science was primarily developed by Christians who understood that there was a pattern or fabric to life, and they knew that if we could understand that pattern more, then we would understand God more. And and that's how we got science. So again, the world was created as the expression of an artist Accompanied by wisdom. Now here's the second thing I want us to notice. Wisdom in this passage, Proverbs 8, is personified. Look look at what he says. He brought me forth. I was there. I was there when he formed the oceans. I was there when he formed the mountains. I, me. Wisdom is personified. Now here's a question we have to consider. What if wisdom really was a person? What if wisdom was a person that we could be in relationship with? What if wisdom was somebody that we could love and walk with? What if wisdom was somebody who could actually teach us about how the world was meant to be? What if that were the case? Well, this isn't the only passage in Scripture in which we see somebody accompanying God at creation. So let's look at John chapter 1. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. John writes this In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's right. Jesus is the wisdom of God. Jesus is God's wisdom personified. And I don't have time to get into this, but actually all throughout the New Testament, the New Testament writers echo the same sentiment. Jesus is the wisdom of God. I'll just give you one. Paul writes in Colossians 2, verse 3, Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So what is John saying? He's telling this. This is his encouragement. To know Jesus and walk with him is to know God's design for life. It is to gain wisdom. All other knowledge flows out of this truth. That's what he's trying to tell us. If I want to know what it means to be a human being, I need to watch Jesus. If I want to know what real love is, there's lots of conversations uh, these days about love, love this, love that. If I want to know what real love is, I need to watch Jesus. Right? If I want to know who I am really, not how I feel, because that changes on a day-to-day basis, if I want to know who I am really... I need to look to Jesus. If I want to know why there's so much pain and suffering in the world, actually Jesus helps me to understand that. He helps me to see that. There isn't really any other view that under, helps us understand pain and suffering. If I want to know what the good life is, what is worth pursuing, Jesus leads us in that. This is exactly why C.S. Lewis, in one of his more famous quotes, says this, "'I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen.'" Not only because I see it, but by it I see everything else. Again, there's this idea that the gospel, that Jesus really is the key to opening the door to understanding life, to understanding human beings, to understanding how things ought to be. That this is Jesus. He is the personification of God's wisdom. He is the pattern or the fabric of the world. He is who we look to. That's his encouragement. That's what he's trying to tell us. That's what he was trying to encourage his his readers. Hey, you guys know. Jesus didn't hold anything back from you. There was no secret truth that you had to go to some guru to find. He told you what you needed to know. That's the beginning of knowledge. So who do we listen to? Who do we listen to? Who Who do we find credibility with? Look, if I got the dreaded diagnosis of cancer, I'm going to want to find a doctor who specializes, who's an expert at diagnosing cancer and treating cancer. But that doesn't mean that doctor is going to help, be able to help me know how to process cancer. Is going to help me to know how to live with cancer or die with cancer. So I'm a counselor by profession, and a couple of years ago uh, I was working with a woman. Who was uh, struggling with cancer, she had the cancer diagnosis, she had gone through treatment after treatment after treatment and it wasn't really helping her much and the treatment was actually, like she just wasn't living. Some of you may know that process, she was really just surviving. And she had this perspective, she said, why am I fighting to hang on to life so much when when I know I'm going to be with Jesus when I die? And so she wanted to stop treatment and it was really interesting because the medical community the doctors that she was with it was like no you you can't do that we got to try this 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 her family members were like no you can't do that we got to do this we got to do this we got to do this and you know it obviously was a struggle but she wasn't living and she recognized that and she she had this thought i'm going to see jesus i'd like to actually prepare myself with a clear mind as I, as I get there, right? A, I want to go with a, to a doctor who knows how to treat this, but he's not necessarily going to be able to tell me how to, how to live well yeah, or how to die well. If my car breaks down, I want a mechanic who knows what they're doing, but I'm probably not going to look to them for marital advice. And I apologize to any mechanics in the room. You may have that wisdom, but it's not automatic, right? If I really want somebody to help me understand the Christian life and what it means to develop as a disciple of Jesus, am I really going to listen to some TikTok person? Is that really where I'm going to go for wisdom? No. Here's where John told his struggling and confused readers and what he tells us. If you know the truth about Jesus, that he was God in the flesh, that he is light and in him there is no darkness at all, That he suffered and died on our behalf. That he forgives sins, again, meaning there are sins to be forgiven. That he is God's perfect example of what it means to be human. And when we abide in that truth, again, what he tells us, when we abide in that truth, meaning we desire to love and follow him, which leads us to a life of turning away from sin, which leads us to grow in our capacity to love our brothers and sisters, then you have access to all the knowledge and wisdom you need to live an abundant life. That's what he's telling us. This is John's encouragement. Abide in him the wisdom of God. And if you are trying to figure out who is credible enough to listen to about the abundant life in Christ, including me, including Dave, Including Alex, including anybody else who steps up here, you need to be paying attention to some things. Not just what we say. This isn't, this isn't not just about if you believe the right things, that's most certainly part of it. Clearly, John says that's, that's a part of it. But in believing the right things and in abiding, and in uh, abiding in those beliefs, we are walking in a particular way. That's where we have credibility you have to watch how we live. Now don't watch for perfection, I will let you down. Dave will let you down, right? You know, yeah. We'll let you down. Look at how we handle those things. How do we respond to failures, our own failures and others' failures? How do we respond to trials, to difficulties, to suffering? How do we respond in the care of our brothers and sisters? Watch. We need to watch and pay attention because that's how you know we have credibility. It doesn't mean I'm going to dismiss somebody automatically. That's not what I'm saying. It doesn't mean we dismiss them automatically. But I do have to be skeptical. I do have to listen with a critical ear. What are these people teaching about Jesus? How much does that align with the gospel, with, with what Jesus clearly laid out about himself? And how much does that influence how a person walks? Yeah. Hmm. How do we acknowledge sin and struggles? How do we handle adversity? pay attention to what we proclaim about Jesus because again John's encouragement is you have no need for anybody to teach you if you've been anointed by his holy one you have access to all knowledge meaning you have access to the wisdom of God the way life was meant to be lived the pattern the design that God intended for us to have. And when we find it, we find life. Now, I'm not up here to give you five easy steps to finding all truth and all knowledge. I can't do that. Uh, it, it actually would be pointless to do that. What I am saying is we have wisdom personified in the person of Jesus, the perfect human who shows us what it means to be human, who shows us what it means to walk with the Father, who shows, it what, shows us what it means to have an abundant life. And what I am encouraging you to do is press into him. Pursue him with all that you have. Understand what the, what scriptures reveal about him and learn how to walk with him. And that's a lifetime. That's a lifetime of us learning how to do that. Growing in wisdom, growing in understanding. And that's what John is, is encouraging us to do. The rest of his letter is... Really, going to be how do we live that out? What does it look like for us to live that out? What does it look like to flesh that out? Okay. Jesus, the wisdom of God, the perfect human who came to show us how to live the way, in God, the way God intended his people to live. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, I am so grateful. I am so grateful that in your goodness you chose to reveal yourself, your way, your pattern, your design in the person of Jesus. I am so grateful that He made Himself available to us to know, to learn from, to draw close to, and to walk with. And I pray, Lord, that You would give us the courage, the courage to press into that truth, the courage to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. And I pray, Lord, that in so doing, we would draw more deeply in love with you, which would enable us to more deeply love each other and that we would be a light to the world as a result of that. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I would like to uh, speak a benediction over you guys, so if you would please stand. A benediction is really just a a prayer for you as you go. And this is coming out of 1 Thessalonians. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our lord jesus christ he who calls you is faithful he will surely do it have a great sunday thanks for spending time with the hope collective if you appreciated this message we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend You can also leave a rating or review, which will help other listeners find us online. Thanks again for joining us.